Hello. 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 And welcome, welcome to, to Laughbox. Laughbox, the podcast for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And now, here's your host, Chip Lutz. Hey, hey, hey! It's time for Laughbox! Man, I am super excited to share this episode with you. Now, for those of you who don't know, I have two podcasts. One I do for myself, called Leadership Happy Hour, and the other one is this one, Laughbox, that I do for AATH. Once in a while, I talk to a guest that fits both categories, and that's the case this week. I talk to Sean Webb, and we talk about his two books, Mind Hacking Happiness. Yeah, we're hacking, hacking the hell out of your mind this week. Uh, he shares some great strategies from both his books on how to make that rapid mental adjustment you need to make sometimes just to get over the hump and get back down to business. He's done the research, and you're going to benefit from it. So I want you to kick back and enjoy. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. This is Chip Lutz, the Unconventional Leader. And today, man, I get to talk to somebody, a man after my own heart, somebody actually in his videos talks about adult learning models, which is pretty awesome because nobody talks about that stuff. I get to talk to Sean Webb, and we're talking mind-hacking happiness. Bam! There it is, laying it right on the table. Welcome, my friends, to the show. Big cheers to you. Thank you, sir. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Um, now, for my listeners, if you give them like the 411, the, uh, the DL on Sean Webb, that'd be awesome. Yeah, totally. Um, so I'm a mind researcher in North Carolina, and I'm kind of an autodidact in that I taught myself about all of the things that I needed to know to understand how my own mind worked. And this kind of started a long time ago, and I was like, I, I basically came up in the corporate world and was working for a supercomputing company and had some early success in life, yada, 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 made a bunch of money and had all these things lined up that I was supposed to have to be happy, mm -hmm. you know, and I found out like I wasn't. So then that kind of caused me to dive into, okay, what's, what's broken in my mind? What's going on up there that I can maybe fix? You know, is there something that I missed that type of thing? And I made this huge cool discovery which then like 17 years later turns into a couple of books and then I'm getting invitations to go to these science conferences and talk and the stories that we're getting back are like amazing of self-transformation of you know just explaining to people how their mind works so they can take control of it and now 
some of the Navy SEALs that I've been working with are stepping forward to say this is the best mind training on the planet, having already gone through the best mind training that the U.S. government can provide them. And so now we're doing podcasts with these guys and it's just going out of control. But it's like, it's just, you know, I took a different approach to a, looking at the human mind and figuring out kind of how it worked and how you could play with it and how you could change the variables that go into it so that you get a different output from it. And so I'm that guy, basically. I'm the guy that comes at you with a different approach on how to manage your inner BS and get over it and make your life epic in whatever you want to do. So it applies to everything. It applies to, you know, leadership. It applies to making more money. It applies to having better relationships. It applies to being a better parent. It applies to just living a happier life, period, which is why I kind of had to you know, name the book Mind Hacking Happiness because you're getting in there and you're hacking stuff to be able to change what your mind typically does, which a lot of times is not you know, effective uh, support of your goals. You know, It's always like it's that voice that's always doubting you and it's that that thing that's creating your negative emotions that kind of limit you and all that other crap. And I was like, let's get by that. How long have we been dealing with that problem? Let's, let's fix that and move on. That's all BS, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Basically. I don't want to get into all of that. All right. Cause I, you know, like your whole journey there, you know uh, what people need to do to have a happier life. Cause it's something I'm really interested in before yeah. we do that. I'm just going to ask you a random question. Sure. It's nothing to do with our conversation. So, you got brothers and sisters? I have, yes, some older sisters and an older brother. All right. So you're the youngest. I'm the youngest by far. I was almost raised an only child because I was so much separated. I understand your pain, man. I get it. I, I'm the youngest as well. And there's a big gap between me and the next. All right. So when you were growing up, what was the one thing that your older siblings used to torture you with that to, to this day that you, you're still thinking about revenge. Oh, <laughs> I let stuff like that go to where I don't need the revenge, but my family, you know, I came from like this really weird, broken, you know, sob story uh, past that, you know, almost everyone has nowadays. Uh, so I think, what they tortured me with was kind of loneliness because everybody kind of just fled the household and didn't look back and like never called and never wrote, you know, cause my parents were like not optimal parents. And so, uh, you know, they, they did the best they could. They just couldn't do very well. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, I, it was like decades before I was able to like have a good relationship with those guys just cause I didn't know who they were and didn't know where they lived and all this other stuff. So I didn't mean to laugh, but I was just thinking that you call your brother, you're like, Hey, this is Sean. And he's, he's like, Sean, who? And right. He's like, your, your brother, your brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was weird for a while where, you know, everybody just kind of went four distances, you know, four different directions into the wind. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, yeah. it was it, crazy. It was not that big a gap between me and the next of my family is like five years. But I mean, that was a big transition for me because everybody was gone. My yeah. last five years at home, I was only child. And, and I worked really hard to maintain relationships, but then everybody was just kind of like living their life. And I was like, that was my first um, big life lesson was like, well, yeah, I guess you know, everybody just lives their own life. You just, you know, you don't need to get involved in everybody else's crap. So anyway. Yeah, yeah so. totally. 
I mean, you know, it's nice to have people around who support you and whatnot, but you know, there's also a path that, you know, you can lift you up, you lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, we got a couple things in common there besides the, uh, the adult ed model, but anyway, we'll get into that. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the journey that you alluded to at the very beginning that, you know, you're trying to figure out things uh, on your own happiness. So um, in that journey, what were some of the uh, first revelations that you had as you were going through and um, self, self-teaching? Well, you know, there's, I, I made a big discovery about the human mind that there's a lot more intelligence under the covers than we're led to believe and that we typically have access to. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things, like when I was on my front porch, and I tell this story in the book, I was on my front porch and I was waiting for this, you know, brand new stereo delivery that I'd just uh, ordered on um, for a house that I'd signed the papers on the day before. I'm in an upper middle class neighborhood at the age of 27 in the city of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that wasn't cheap. And um, basically I'd done it without a co-signer and, and, you know, I'd talked about my poor childhood and whatnot coming up. So I went from like poverty to, you know, middle class, solid middle class America uh, by myself in about a decade. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering why the heck I hadn't found happiness because I was like, I had achieved all the things that society and television and all that other stuff told me I needed to, to find right. to attain happiness. And here I am standing on my front porch thinking, you know, wow, you know, I'm not happy because um, I was like, well, you know, I could put a gazebo over there on the, on the lawn, you know, what's next? And that whole what's next question that popped into my mind was this just like huge echo of an awakening, mm-hmm. which was like, okay, I've, I've got all these things, you know, I got this house, I got great relationships, I've got, you know, what I thought was a great relationship uh, spiritually with, uh, you know, higher power and all this other stuff. And I've got all this monetary, you know, good bank account balance. And I got the the boat, the speed boat in the, in the front yard, the fast motorcycle in the garage, the Jeep Grand Cherokee, a 69 Firebird uh, convertible banana yellow that like everybody knew around town. Mm-hmm. And um, I still wasn't happy because that what next thing was like, okay, you know, I'm still searching for happiness. What other thing am I missing? And so then I had really had to turn inside, inside myself and say, okay, what's, what's broken within me? that I can't find happiness with all of these external conditions. And what I basically figured out is that happiness doesn't come from your external conditions. Happiness comes from within always, even at those moments where you get those external conditions set where you can have a little bit of happiness for just a little while. And that's all it lasts, by the way. Even if you win the lottery, you only get about a year of happiness before you're back or happy. Um, and that's called the hedonic treadmill, basically. Your mm-hmm. hedonic happiness resets. And to go on a little tangent here, the reason that is, is because your, your nervous system is just a big comparator. And so your whole nervous system always compares one thing to another. And so when you wake up in the middle of the night and you smell the gas leaking inside your house, well, that's because from moment one to moment two, the gas leak went from zero low to too high. And mm-hmm. you woke up in the middle of the night and your olfactory nerves are saying, Hey, there's a gas leak. You might want to get out of the house. So then you walk around for 10 minutes. You're trying to figure out where the gas leak is coming from. And then all of a sudden you don't smell it anymore. You think it was a dream. You go back to bed and the whole family dies because you didn't get out of the house because what's happening is your nervous system normalizes. It uh-huh. only will, t- will talk to you about the differences in things. And so for between time two and time three, the gas stayed high and then remained high. And so 
your nervous system said, okay, I'm not going to report this anymore. Oh, I reported I it I... to you. And, and so, yeah, that's why I like when you smell gas, you got to get the heck out of the house. But everything will do that. Like if you, if you sit in a warm bath long enough, it won't feel warm anymore, right? The temperature mm -hmm. will come down just a little bit. But your skin temperature will get used to the temperature of the warm bath or the cold water. You know, if you're doing like cold therapy or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you get used to it after a while. And the same thing is true with happiness and with the new things that you attain, which is why it's always a never-ending treadmill that when you get more money, you get a better job, you get, you know, whatever it is, your new car, the, the shine wears off the apple, so to speak. Your that's, nervous system gets used to it and, and then you go back to where you were. See, that's amazing. I didn't realize it was a nervous system thing. So I always, you know, I realized that, you know, happiness is always fleeting. That, yes. you know, like, cause it's like any emotion. It's here one moment and here, uh, gone the next. And then, you know, people are always kind of chasing it. And I always think about, you know, uh, Don Draper from uh, Mad Men, you know, yeah. he would say, what is happiness? It's that moment before you need more happiness. Right, you know, exactly. And that, but I didn't realize it was tied to uh, the nervous system. That's fascinating. Yeah, and, yeah it's you know, tied to how your physiology works, right? I mean, that's wow. just how your body works. It's just how your brain works. And so I, I dug into that and I was like, you know, okay, so happiness really comes from within. So there's a button that, you know, when I get that new thing, when I get that new raise, when I get that new commission check or whatever it is, it's hitting that happiness button, which then gives me happiness from within well what if i could find a way to hit that happiness button without having to set the external conditions and basically i did and that's kind of how um or why i'm being invited to these science conferences i get to talk at the science of consciousness and meet david uh, chalmers and you know all these other highfalutin scientists that i'm rubbing elbows with who've been on tv and whatnot and these seals are coming to me and they're saying wow this is the best mind training manual on the planet and cool you know we want to hang out let's do a podcast yada yada, yada. Um, there is a way to do that and it's brand new and it's science based. I mean, it's, you know, it's supported by all the, the empirically published science and major journals that kind of mm -hmm. lays it out. And I put that story together in the book so that you can understand it. And like, um, you know, it's easy enough that a fifth grader can understand it. My, my son, who's actually in fourth grade started a year ago in third grade and he gets it. Like he's using this stuff to basically <laughs> turn off his negativity and whatnot. Now you're speaking Amazing. my language because you know, I, I will freely admit I'm not always the sharpest tool in the shed. So it's, uh, <laughs> I, 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 need, I need things that are easy to use. Um, oh, it's super easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's only two things that come together to create every one of your emotional responses from the time of your birth to the time of your death. And you start screwing with those things. You can literally change your emotional landscape for the rest of your life. Okay, okay then what are those two things? Well, you, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> let me let me step into my office, right? Um, <laughs> now, the two things are basically, uh, you know, like I said, your nervous system is always comparing two things, and so the two things that your nervous system is, is you know, your brain is comparing mm -hmm. to create every one of your emotional reactions. And once okay. you get a hold of this, um, it does a bunch of awesome things. By the way, mm. one of them is your expectation or preference of the next moment, and the other one is your perception of the next moment. And specifically when you have emotions about, let's say you have a favorite sports team or whatever, right? Um, you see a score of your sports team over the weekend, you weren't able to watch the game, and then you have an emotional reaction associated with that sports team. Mm -hmm. Well, your limbic system is the thing that is scanning your, your thoughts and all of the things that are coming through your, your senses for threats, right? It's the thing that's supposed to keep you alive because your brain is your organ of survival, right? It's supposed to allow you to be able to survive from one day into the next. It's, you know, memory allows you to remember where the food is. Um, 
you know, your creativity allows you to build a shelter to stay out of the elements. Your sense of humor allows to, you to attract somebody into a bed to propagate the species, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> well, this limbic system scans all of your environment for threats and it says, okay, is this a threat? Is this person a threat? Is this headline a threat? Is this score in the newspaper a threat? And then a second question has got to be asked, a threat to what? Right. And the other thing that you're looking at is your sense of self, the laundry list of things that you have to protect. Because when you look at a leaf cutter ant, you have to know or not know whether or not you have um, leaves to be able to determine whether or not you have a threat assessed mm -hmm. according to that leaf cutter ant. Right. And so this laundry list of self used to be thought of as just our body. Right. Which is why you dodge out of the way when a baseball comes flying at your head. And it's an involuntary thing. Your limbic system is really quick and it usually shuts down the rest of the brain when it starts firing. So you lose your thinking brain. And so at the point that you have this self map hardwired in, you then start to pile on other ideas of self that go beyond your body. And there's this guy at UVA um, who proved in an fMRI. He brought in a group of folks and it was Jim Cohn at UVA brought in a number of folks and put them in an fMRI and said, okay, we're going to give you a flash of lightning glasses and then we're going to zap your ankle. And you're going to watch your brain in between. And so what he was expecting to see was a fear response. Okay, we're going to flash your light and then, oh my God, now I'm going to get zapped on my ankle. And that's exactly what they saw in the fMRI. So then he brought in somebody else who is a stranger and took the ankle zapper off of the original subject and put it on the stranger. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, we're going to give you the flash of light, then we're going to watch your brain, and then we're going to zap the stranger. And they got exactly what they expected there too, which was, we don't care, <laughs> right? There's no fear. <laughs> zap the stranger, I'm going to giggle, give me some popcorn, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, but then they did a third step, which was they brought in a familiar. They brought in like a significant other, a good friend, or, you know, neighbor, or whatever it was, and they put them next to him on the gurney and put the ankle zapper on the, on the person that they loved. And they couldn't tell the first scan from the third scan apart because what they were proving was that people around us get mapped to our own sense of self. It becomes our own definition of who we are, it includes oh. the people that are around us. And then this gets extended. Tiffany Burnett White at, at UIUC proved that brands, we get connected to brands, which is how we get connected to sports teams and all this other stuff. So, you know, we can be an Apple or Android guy, we can be a Dallas Cowboys or a Chicago Cubs guy, you know, and then all of a sudden we have emotional reactions connected with those because those things then get mapped to ourself. And so it becomes a portion of our existence, a portion of our world, a definition of who we are, or the things that we attach to. And then Sam Harris proved that we can do that with politics and religion. And of course, you don't have to go any farther than Facebook to see that stuff yeah. uh, in, in your newsfeed, <laughs> right? <shit>. Right. <laughs> so, so, you know, you have emotional reactions. People have vehement emotional reactions yeah. connected with attacks on self there, whether, you know, whatever you're attacking on their politics or religion. And so, um, you know, you've got this whole process of the limbic system creating this perception, which is one side of your equation of emotion, and then it gets balanced versus your expectation and or preference of all the things on your personal self map. And this is what makes you an individual out of all the seven and a half billion people in the world. Mm -hmm. It was your, your customized self map. And then you're also your customized perception profile, like how you see things in the world. And so that's why you will have a different emotional reaction from somebody else who's in the same exact situation, you know, that type of thing. But here's the really cool thing that happens is that when you learn to see 
your expectation or preference as compared to your preferences, you get to see your mind creating your emotional reactions in real time. Okay. And two magical things happen at that point. One is that just like a tooth can't bite itself, a fingertip can't touch itself, an eyeball can't see itself without some distance in a mirror, an olfactory nerve can't smell itself. You have to have a distance between a perceiver and a perceived. And so when you're able to see your mind creating anger and understanding the two variables that come together to create your anger or your sadness or your fear or your worry or your regret or your stress or whatever the hell it is because they all have specific definitions, mm-hmm. at the point that you can see that, your subconscious mind says, wait a second, I thought I was that mess. And now because of this new information that I learned, I, I now can see that mess. So I must not be that mess because I can't be it and see it at the same time because there's no distance. And so that's, that kind of rewrites your sense of self to say, okay, I, you know, I'm given a little distance now between my anger reaction, my sadness reaction, my fear reaction, whatever it is, and my observer role. And so you kind of realize you're not that mess and that that mess is optional. So that gives you a little bit more power over that mess than it used to have five minutes ago. And then the other thing that happens is really cool because it's a physiological thing that you can't even control. Mm -hmm. There was this guy, Matt Lieberman at UCLA 2007, who found that when he put a bunch of people in an fMRI and he showed them a bunch of emotionally charged pictures, he watched their brain. And when they saw a fearful picture, they got a little afraid. When they saw an angry picture, they got a little angry. You know, there was these mirror neurons and our empathy circuits were firing, et cetera. Well, then he put another group through and he said, okay, I want you to name the emotion in play. And so he showed the second group the same set of pictures and he said, just name it. Just say anger, just say sadness, just say, you know, fear, whatever it is. And in those people, in that second group, they could literally see the emotion center of the brain shutting off in real time in the fMRI, even before the scan was was concluded, like the researchers were watching it live. And so this became super famous, like they were called the name it, tame it studies, because there were a whole bunch of copycat studies all over the, the planet that proved it out. And so what that proved was when you put a cognitive understanding process to your emotional process it turns off your negative reactivity in real time. And this is, this is you know, built into our wiring because like when you walk by a, a coil on the ground and you're like, oh my God, that's a snake. And you look down and you actually see it's a hose. That's the same thing. It's putting a cognitive understanding to the situation that your limbic system said, holy shit, there's a snake on the ground. Right. And you say, no, 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 it's actually not a snake. And then what happens is it turns off the fear. Mm-hmm. And so just like that same thing, if you learn why your emotions have come to be with just understanding the two components that, that bring them to life, that turns off, that pushes that magic button to turn your negative bullshit off in the heat of the moment and you get your prefrontal cortex back because one of the first things that your emotion brain does is turn off your thinking brain, which is great. 150 years ago, like if you're trying to run from a bear or you, know, you, you see a snake on the ground, the only energy you need is to run. So it shunts everything to your legs and turns off your thinking brain. But now when we have spreadsheets, now when we have to step into leadership roles, now when we have to you know, make conscious decisions and intelligent decisions to get ourselves out of our problems, that doesn't work so well anymore. So you know, we got we to gotta be more proactive. So from, okay, so let me try to put this in stuff I can understand. So like if I'm in some kind of emotional spiral, say I'm, I'm pissed at my wife or something. Right. And I'm just like, I'm all worked up. But if I stop, step out of that emotional spiral and, you know, put some cognitive thought into maybe like thinking about, um, you know, uh, her side of it or looking at it logically, then it, um, it separates. Am I, um, 
separates things in my brain. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah. Okay. And it doesn't even have to be that complex. I mean, it could be as simple was that, as... Was that complex? That was last night. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, the thing you look at doesn't even have to be that complex to try to get into her mind and figure out what crazy spider webs are, are being weaved in there. Mm. You, all you have to do is you have to say, okay... What, what pissed me off about this moment? What was okay. my perception and what, what on my self map did this thing attack? You don't even have to jump into, you know, where she is and what her perceptions may be or what just happened to her 20 minutes ago that may be influencing this conversation or whatever it is. You don't have to get there. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is look inside your own mind to say, what was the perception that just triggered me? And okay. what was the thing that it was attacking on my self map? And just that thing, just taking that, that cognitive step will turn off your negative reactivity by hitting the name attainment circuits in your brain, but then also creating a perception that, you know, you're looking at something else now. You're not looking at what triggered you. You're looking at the process that cr was created in your mind, and then that gives you a little distance from that. It gives you control, brings your thinking brain back online, which your wife is going to love, so that you don't react in an emotional way that, you know, is more destructive to the relationship than whatever the, the contest was a minute ago. Gotcha. As usual, I'm making more things difficult, things more difficult than they really need to do. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just, you know, this <laughs> just right. the nature. I, yeah, well, you, know, you do that's just being a man. Come on. Yeah, that probably is that. <laughs> it, now, it comes with the territory. <laughs> so, let's uh, backtrack just a, a little bit because at the very beginning, I, I was kind of taken about your whole story on, uh, you know, you had all the stuff in Atlanta. I was a little bit jealous because you had like the Firebird and the Fast Motorcycle, all that stuff. All right. All that stuff, right? All yeah. stuff that society said that you needed to have in order to be happy, but you weren't there. I yeah. mean, because it seems to me that as a society, we're kind of like bent on being happy. You know, yeah. it's like, well, I should be happy. I'm, you know, it's in the, it's in the constitution. Well, no, it's really not. But you know, right. whatever. you can pursue that shit. But anyway, and, you know, we're kind of bent on it and you see, you know, all this stuff and like, you know, on, you know, what is, you know, our overall um, fixation on happiness? What, where, where does that come from? Well, it comes from survival and specifically homeostasis. Okay. So homeostasis is the thing that governs every individual cell in your human body. And it is the thing that comes from nature, whether it comes from the quantum field or whatever, we don't know, but there is an underlying intrinsic motivation that drives an individual cell to not react or be cool if everything's status quo or increased in value, and then to freak out if everything isn't in good working order or if, or if something needs to be changed. And so basically it's just a rule that says, okay, if everything's cool, we're cool. And if everything's not cool, we got to do something and make it cool. Right. And, and it governs every cell in our body. And that's exactly in a reverse cascade that what happens to roll up into our emotions about whether the Cubs have won the game over the weekend or the two games or whatever they're playing over the weekend and what you've seen in the scoreboard. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I've seen that they've dropped two out of three to St. Louis and oh no, you know, now I got to look and figure out what's going on with the pitching or now I got to, you know, take action and read this article about why they lost or whatever the situation was instead of just saying, oh, they cool. They won the game. Awesome. You know, um, so it comes down to our ability to manage that whole process of, you know, figuring out why homeostasis is doing what it's doing in our psyche, in our human mm -hmm. psyche, and managing that and then taking control of it by turning the knobs of your variables that create your whole emotional landscape in the first place. Like you can, you can adjust your expectations forever. 
And we'll be right back with that interview with Sean, but now it's time for Fun Facts. And since we're talking about uh, happiness, I thought the fun fact I would share with you this week would be on happiness. And it comes from OnlineBustle.com, and it says that happiness has power over your immune system. That's right. Being happy just doesn't sound like a pleasant thing. It can be a pleasant thing for our bodies, too. Specifically, happiness can help boost our immune systems. Research published in the journal Psychosomatic Medicine, I say that three times really fast, found that people who have more positive emotions are less likely to develop the common cold. Just one of about a million reasons to put a smile on your face. There you go. Don't worry, be happy, and don't sneeze. Hey everyone, this is Paul Ozinka, president of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor, inviting you to join us this May 14th through 17th at our annual conference in New Orleans. It's gonna be awesome. The theme this year is diagnosis happiness. So we've got experts from positive psychology, neuroscience, therapeutic humor, even comedy, sharing their wisdom on the relationship between humor and happiness. Now, of course, no conference could be all work and learning. So we're going to be right there in the heart of the French Quarter. So you can sneak off, grab yourself a beignet, and see all that New Orleans has to offer. Can't wait to see you there. And now back to our interview with Sean Webb and Mind Hacking Happiness. You can adjust your perceptions. Like, you know, somebody cuts you off in traffic. Like, you can decide to think, you know, that's a, an insult on your intelligence or a, or a, a, a slant on uh, you not being important enough to signal to get in front of or where they're going is more important than where you're going. Or then you can see that as a, as a, holy cow, they could be going to the hospital to visit a friend who's fallen ill and there's the last time they're going to see him. You know, so then you're like, I've shifted my perception. Now my total emotional landscape has changed. Now I want to give them the lane. I want to, you know, say, Hey, give them a hug for me, you know, Good luck in getting to the hospital. You know, it changes my whole reaction based give on. A, give him a hug for me as you flip him off. Give him a right. hug for me. <laughs> <laughs> give him a hug for me, you rat bastard. <laughs> Learn how to use a turn signal. <laughs> that's, a, that's fascinating, though. See, I mean, because I, 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 that's the first explanation I've never heard like that. I mean, they, I, I've always looked at it as you know, happiness being a choice, you know, I, I, I can choose how I'm going to act, how I'm going to interact with my environment. You yeah. Know, sometimes it's a little bit harder than other times. Yeah. But, um, like you, you know, I think that happiness for a driven person, uh, sometimes is, is elusive because like you said before, it's like, you know, what's next, what's coming yeah. next. Yeah. I'm driving yeah. myself here and then it can be, um, it can be very, very elusive. So, you know, it's like, all right, well, then I've got to choose on, how I'm, you know, what I'm going to focus in on. And I, you know, I like that, you know, you turned inward and, um, yeah. in the stuff that you've been sharing. So how do we get to that, the mind hacking part on, you know, I, I assume that what you were just saying, uh, previously on, um, stepping outside of the emotional cycle and looking at things a little bit different is, you know, uh, part of the process, or maybe it's like one of the hacks. I don't know. You know, is yeah. there, a, is there a process for it or, you know, yeah, how, totally. how do we get there? All right, you're going to love what I'm about to do here because I'm going to wrap in the adult learning model into this conversation right now. Giddy up, cowboy. All right. (laughs) All right, so the adult learning model that we alluded to previously um, starts, there's four four basic steps to it. And you always start with, no matter what you're going to learn in life, it's always going to be starting from a point of unconscious incompetence, which is where I I don't even know what I don't know. I don't know what I need to learn. Um, So, you know, you, you have an unconscious incompetence of, 
okay, let me know what I need to know. How cool can life be? How easy is happiness? And then you basically learn that there is a set of things that you need to know, at which point you slide into a conscious incompetence. You still can't do what you want to do, but at least you know what you need to understand to be able to get on the path or get there. So then you start learning about what you want to master and you start learning disciplines. You start learning strategies and techniques or whatever it is you're, you want to master. And then you're starting to slide from a conscious incompetence into a conscious competence where you kind of know what you're doing a little bit. You understand how to you know, swing that golf club and how to stand and how to square your shoulders and how to follow through and all that other stuff that mm -hmm. if you're a golfer or whatever it is. But you still have to think about it. <clears throat> it's not like ingrained. And so the last step is your unconscious competence, which is lights out, flow, muscle memory. It's the Tiger Woods, the Michael Jordans, LeBron James. They don't even have to think about it anymore. They just turn it over to their body and their body automatically does it automatically from an unconscious level at a level of mastery that is just you know, brought through by practicing. So the way to master happiness, the first thing you got to do I'm going to pitch my book. You got to pick up mind hacking happiness and you got to understand the process that your mind uses to create happiness in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so then after you learn what it is that you can do eventually with your mind, that slides you into that conscious incompetence. By the end of the book, you're already into conscious competence because the stuff to do is really simple. Like I said, you know, my third grader or fourth grader now this year is doing this and teaching his friends how to manage their frustration and, and, mm -hmm. you know, it's like doing wonders on his, on the soccer field for him and yada, yada, yada. He's doing great. And so you learn that conscious competence of how to turn down your negative bullshit, you, you, how to turn down your negativity, that inner voice that, that always sows doubt into your life and turns up your happiness automatically through um, your manipulation of the variables that create your emotional landscape. So then you slide into your conscious competence, and after a while, there's this thing called plasticity, where neuroscience isn't very old at all. It's a nascent science of the brain that we don't know shit about the brain. But mm -hmm. what we do know is that what we thought about it 10 years ago is all wrong. And what we thought about it 10 years ago is like you grow a brain, it never changes, you never get new neurons, it right. never reallocates anything, and here's your roll of the dice, hope you get a good one, come on seven, right? <laughs> <clears throat> right? That's awesome. We know that's all bullshit now. So, and just like going to the gym, like you're talking about workouts previously, we're going to the gym, our muscles get bigger, you know, our, our uh, aerobic uh, rate gets uh, improved the more we exercise, the body changes based on how we use it. Well, the brain does the same thing. And so just like you practice crossword puzzles, you get better at it. You cross, you know, practice piano, you get better at it. You practice shooting a basketball, you get better at it. Over time, as you manage your negativity down and increase your happiness up, you get better at it over time. Your brain actually changes in form and function to shrink your limbic system nodes and your, and your amygdala. And then, increases your left shift in your prefrontal cortex to where that's firing all the time, which is your happy place in your brain. Um, you know, I, I had a brain scan and I had a super huge left shift in my brain that physically proved like empirically proved that I was a happy guy. Mm -hmm. And there's another guy, um, like a, this, uh, French Buddhist monk, Mathieu Ricard, who had his brain scan as well, had the same thing. And he even, um, kind of meditated out his startle reflex which is like they, they put him in a, an fMRI and, and played him loud sounds through his headphones and his, his subconscious brain wouldn't even jump because really? he, yeah, he, oh, it's amazing. Amazing dude. You, yeah, I can read about him. I've read, 
I uh, wrote a couple of chapters on him in my second book, which is Mind Hacking Habit has turned out to be way too long of a book. So we chopped it into volume one and volume two. Volume one is the stuff you need to make your life awesome. Volume two is if you want to go deep into like, you know, the ancient disciplines and spiritual enlightenment and all that other cool stuff. I put a bunch of science to that as well. Mm -hmm. But I talk about him in the second book. Yeah, I mean, you, you can do this with practice. Like you practice the, the disciplines of understanding and separating from your negative reactions in your mind, making them optional. So you move from compulsion of being controlled by these things into a choice of whether to use them or not. Like sometimes anger is useful. Sometimes, uh, you know, disappointment, a little minor sadness is useful to motivate you, right? Right. You use it as a, as a positive um, energy in your life. So, but you don't have to react to it anymore. It becomes optional. So you practice that for a while and all of a sudden it becomes automatic. Like there have been instances in my life previously after I did this for, you know, for 10,000 hours or however long Malcolm Gladwell says to do it, um, that basically, you know, anger became an option for me in certain situations. And I saw it forming in a split second and I said, you know what, nah, I'll bypass that one. You know, or sadness came up, you know, like, like, you know, I told this story in, in the second book where, you know, I, I walked up to my mom's in assisted living at the time and I knocked on her door and for the first time in my life, she opened the door and she goes, can I help you? And she looked at me like I was a stranger. Mm. Right. And that was the first time ever. And understand, you know, when you, when you analyze this stuff later, <clears throat> you understand that in that moment, she has lost the only son that she's had because my brother that I talked about previously was a half brother from my dad's side. So she'd never had a son. She always wanted a son. So now she's gone her whole life. And in this moment, I am realizing that she has lost all memory of her son. Mm -hmm. Um, She's lost, you know, probably a lot of memory from having kids period. Um, I've lost as an individual, all future hugs from a mom who is still now walking the planet who can't Mm -hmm. remember me. Um, I've lost all future conversations with a mom. You know, I've lost all the interactions that you could have son and mother in that half second moment. And, um, and it was, it was, there was a, a very clear conscious choice. I was like, okay, there's a sadness that could really arise in me at the moment. Mm-hmm. But because I had managed my emotional reactions so well and so consistently over a number of years at that point, the only thing that came up for me was a decision of whether I was going to wallow in my own self-pity for the moment or whether I was going to be there for her and be what she needed in that moment to be a friendly stranger just stopping by to check on her because mm-hmm. that was her reality in that split second. So I was basically able to process that whole thing in less than a second and became the good neighborly guy who was just coming by to check on her welfare and be that nice guy. And so I transitioned from being her son who could have been hurt and, um, you know, all this uh, emotional fallout. And it's not like I had to go cry in the car later or deal with it later. It's like I processed that literally in about one second. Mm -hmm. And from that point forward became that friendly stranger to her who she, you know, kind of maybe seemed familiar with. Mm-hmm. You know, cause I even went in and I, I like gave her some time to try to figure out whether she'd remember me and, you know, over a 20 minute conversation that we had that day. So I was in a hurry, you know, I even pointed at a picture of my son. I was like, Oh, who's that? And she goes, Oh, those are my people. Aren't right? he cute? And didn't even know who it was, but knew that it was somewhat connected to her. 
And that's what her mind was doing. But, you know, so after a while, right, what you do with this over time, like you start from scratch and you go from unconscious incompetence and then you read the book into a conscious incompetence. And then by the end of the book, you're in the conscious competence. After a while, you go into your unconscious competence and all of a sudden your life becomes awesome because your negative reactions become optional. Anytime you want to feel bad, you can. It's your choice. Anytime you want to use your anger, hey, you're free to. Anytime you want to use sadness, and you you have a choice of feeling this stuff in full capacity, but you also have a choice to say, you know what, in this moment, I'm going to by-step that. And it's really just transformational. It's really just transformational. I mean, you want to talk about nirvana. You want to talk about being liberated. You want to talk about, you know, living a life of complete choice from start to finish from, you know, the point that you, you master this stuff. It really does deliver on that. Well, hats off to you. That would be uh, difficult as a son. I mean, I, I would just like put myself in your shoes as, you know, as you were telling that story. Yeah. And, you know, and I would, you know, if for me, if it would suck if, you know, I went and I was going to be that friendly neighbor and then I realized that my mom never really liked me and she didn't like me as a neighbor. <laughs> She's like, and then she would say like, well, you don't really need to stop by again. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> that would kind of suck. <laughs> Yeah, that'd have been a little weird. That'd have been a little weird. It's like, oh, well, you don't really need to stop by again. Thanks, Joe. Um, so, what are um, what are some of the 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 hacks that you know, if you don't mind sharing some, you know, uh, like things that uh, you know that uh, people can do? Yeah. To, to okay. So, that point. so starting from the equation of emotion, you go back to your two variables that create every emotional reaction that you have in your life. Right. That's, this is the thing that always spurs that voice on to, you know, send you doubts and all this other stuff. So you got two things. You got your, your self map on one side, which are the things that you're attached to, the things that you care about. And so you could get really attached to this show on Netflix and then your perception of when they cancel it, it throws your life into a tailspin, you know, wipe some of that stuff off your self map. You don't have to hold on to everything so tightly. You know, you want to hold on to the, uh, to the important things. Like, you know, I always see the, uh, the post reports of these hurricanes and these natural disasters and whatnot. And the people who've lost all their shit automatically wind up with, you know, everybody in my family's safe. So that's all that matters. Yada, yada, yada. Get to that point before the hurricane. Mm -hmm. right? Get to that point and realize what's important to you and what you want to really give a shit about. Mm -hmm. And then wipe the other stuff off your self map. Get rid of all that shit in the storage bin or the storage garage that you've had for, you know, that monthly payment forever that shit you're never going to touch again, but you just can't let go. Give that shit the goodwill, you know, (laughs) get out there, clean out your life, clean out your house, clean out, you know, get rid of all the old crap that, you know, like bulk delete all the old emails that you have in your inbox that, from four years ago that you're never going to fucking read. Right. You know this, mm-hmm. right? So just delete all that stuff, simplify your life, simplify your self map because the science of that is if something is not on your self map, you cannot have a negative emotion about it. So, which is really cool. And the, and the more streamlined your self map is like the more streamlined of the things that you, you care about, the less it's going to throw you into a tailspin. Now, the other side of that is mind your perceptions because the other side of your equation of emotion is mind your perceptions. So, um, like you can always look at the negative uh, perception that comes through on something, or you can look for the positives. And this is called reappraisal. Like psychology has been doing that for, you know, 
decades mm-hmm. been pe- preaching reappraisal. I don't see it as an attack on you. See it as, you know, something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to the self side, you can, you know, your, the self map has its expectations or preferences. Like even in a, going into a business meeting, right? Let's say you're attached to your job, but then you're also attached to this project or then you're attached to this meeting and all those things get piled onto your self map and all these things are important to you for the moment. Well, maybe you've got an attachment. You'd love to have 10 things come out of this meeting. Well, you know, maybe we need to look at that a little better, mm-hmm. unpack that a little bit and take off a few of those things that you, you think you want and just, you know, hone it down to the top three. And if you can get those top three, then you're going you're gonna to be happy. Because if you go in there with an expectation, high expectation, to say, I want to get these 10 things out of these meetings, then you only get seven. Oh, seven's an amazing thing. But if you're looking for the 10, it's going to mm-hmm. suck, right? So, you know, you can adjust your expectations on things. And that can, that can apply to anything. You can adjust your expectations of a date. You can adjust your expectations of how well a relationship talk is going to go this weekend, you know, or, or, you know, how well a raise discussion is going to go with your boss. You know, you can, you can adjust your expectations on the fly. And from that point that sets half your equation of emotion, at which point your perception comes in and all of a sudden doesn't ruin your day anymore. So what I hear you saying is that, you know, part of the equation to a happier life is just lower expectations. (laughs) Well, not, (laughs) not a hundred percent, but you know, it's a good tool to use if you've got room to move. Right. (laughs) Right. But that makes sense. I mean, that makes absolute sense. I like, I, from my own life, I, I categorize everything in my life of one of two ways. Stuff, stuff Chip cares about stuff Chip doesn't care about. Right. You know what I mean? And so, and amazingly, most of the stuff Chip cares about is very Chip centric. Yeah, know? and well, totally. And, and I think that, you know, that doesn't make me special. It makes me a human being. I think we're all kind of wired like that. But if I yeah. divest myself of some of that stuff and, you know, it, and like I, from what you're saying is that the most, the closer emotionally tied you are to something, the more it's going to impact you, you know, yes. separating yourself from that a little bit. Um, obviously from what you're saying is going to help me, um, just be a little bit lighter in my step. Yeah. And the other thing you can do is just um, like, you know, my expectation for the every day, by the way, is that a comet doesn't smack into the earth and ruin all human life. Right. So as long as we're starting from that point every morning, I'm golden. That's, right. That's awesome. That's great. Right? Hey, you know what? Uh, yeah, check the, check the news. Well, there's no comet coming. It looks pretty good. Yeah, no, we're good. We're golden. The other thing you can do though is to be grateful. Like you put your perceptions on things that you're, you have in your life that you're grateful for. Cause this is the whole problem with, you know, a lot of society is that people are always focused on what they don't have. You know, it's like, Oh man, I wish you could make more money or have a bigger house or have a better looking spouse or have a better car or whatever it is. And then they go their entire life living in lack. And the other side of that is there's a real scientific reason. I mean, it sounds like hokey, happy, you know, flower girl bullshit to say, you know, be grateful for what you have. But the reality is the science supports being grateful for what you have as having positive physical effects, positive psychological effects, positive health, positive health effects for you. And what that does is fire your vagus nerve, V-A-G-A-S, between your brain, your heart, and your gut. And when that thing is firing, your body not only works more efficiently, you're a happier human being, your immune system is, is working amazingly. Um, 
all good things in your body happen when you take a moment to just be grateful for the things you have and be grateful for the people around you and be grateful for the job you have or be grateful for the opportunity that you can go and get a new, a new job if you got fired or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Just take a moment to say, thank you for the things that I have in my life at the moment. Even if things aren't perfect right now, take a moment to be grateful. That'll fire that vagus nerve and nothing but good stuff will happen in your body. And when that fires, other people, it's shown in studies, it's really crazy. Other people can tell when your vagus nerve is firing within, you radiate a feel good, like, I don't know, aura or field or whatever it is. It's like some kind of mirror neurons in other people get, 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 you know, get tripped off when your vagal tone is high. Really? People like you more, people will do things for you more, people will help you more. Uh, yeah, it's really crazy science. It's really crazy science. But when you're in a great mood and when you're, you're, you're thankful for things um, and, and you're in that just positive space, other people pick up on it without even having to say a word one. It's crazy. That's awesome. Well, I'm really glad that you spelled out the Vegas nerve thing. And, you know, because initially I was sick in the Vegas nerve. That's when I want to go to Vegas and you totally know, gamble, <laughs> gamble and, you know, go to uh, the burlesque show and stuff. So I'm glad that you spelled that out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was just no, like, what happens you in must, this Vegas? You must, you must get that question a lot because you spelled that out. The Vegas, V A G A S. Right. Yeah. You spelled it out. <laughs> no, no. What happens in this Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. It gets, it's, that is that's a great thing to say right there. That's awesome. Yeah, what happens with this Vegas doesn't stay with this Vegas. People pick yeah. up on it. Yeah, that's awesome. No, it's contagious. That is great. That is great. <laughs> that is amazing though. That you know when uh, you know because when you were saying that, I was thinking about my own life. That you know when I'm in you know a, a crappy mood and stuff. Certainly uh, things. I don't know if people can really tell, but um, not as many great things happen. But yeah. if I'm uh, a little more grateful. I'm living in a good place and I'm a happier person. It's amazing things happen. You know, oh, I, yeah. I, I come into contact with people more or maybe I'm just more, you know, more approachable. I don't know, but it's, um, you know, that's uh, amazing that you said it. Cause I didn't know that that was a factor. Yeah. It's a thing. It's an actual thing. When your vagus nerve is firing between your, your brain, your heart and your gut, well, there's, you know, there's a lot of communication. First of all, the, you know, it's, it's the main communication artery between your gut and your heart to your brain. And 90, 80 to 90% of the communication, by the way, goes up to the brain, not from the brain down into the body, which is really cool. And uh, I did, a, did an interview with a, a buddy, Ron McCready, just recently, because um, I have a podcast with these two Navy SEALs, and we, we interviewed Ron McCready at HeartMath, and he gave us the whole science spiel of, of you know, what's going on with that. And it's amazing all the good things that happen in your body and how other people pick up on it just like naturally, like it's some kind of weird field effect thing Mm -hmm. that people are just around you and they sense it and they treat you differently. So maybe that has something to do with it too. Like you're just having a better day because people are treating you differently. Like, you know, you're getting that uh, first class upgrade from the, the airline attendant because she feels it too. So, you know, one, if you're single, you should probably be a little more grateful and then you're going to be able to attract a, a better mate. Two, oh, totally. two, that explains why my wife always gets like upgrades where she, and people give her stuff. <laughs> people give her free stuff all the time. Like oh, my dr- wife's the same way. We, yeah. we stop someplace, you know, she starts talking to the lady behind the counter, goes to pay for her soda. And, you know, they're like, oh, you don't, it's okay, honey. You don't have to pay for that. And, she's yeah. like, and we walk out and I'm like, that doesn't happen to other people. That only oh, happens no. to you. Oh She's yeah. Like, well, I said, no, it's just in being Gwen. It's just, right. your, it's your Gwenness. 
people yeah. just want to do things for you. That 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 yeah, there's science behind being Glenn. I understand it. <laughs> <laughs> my wife's the same way. You just get used to it after a number of years. You're just like, oh my god, I'm so grateful I'm married to my wife. Yeah. She gets a, such good treatment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, and I get, I get, I get the the side benefits. So that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that totally great. Oh man, such a fascinating conversation. Um, I've had a lot of fun talking to you. Now, if people want to get your book and they want to connect with you, where do you want them to go? Well, you can get my books off of Amazon or I recorded it for Audible as well. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so you can download it at Audible. And I got like, uh, I don't know if you do affiliations with Audible, but I got a free affiliate link, uh, mindhackinghappiness.com slash free book. So if you don't have like a, a monthly subscription, I've had a subscription since 2006. It's the one thing that I will never cancel. I will be out in the street corner begging for money to pay for my Audible membership because I just go through Audible books like every month. Um, yeah, you just, you go there, you sign up, you get it for free and you don't have to pay anything and you get to keep it if you, if you cancel. So that's cool. Um, so you can go there, you can go to, to Amazon. Um, it's got some pretty good reviews. I think it's averaging about 4.7 out of five stars, something like that. It hasn't taken off super popular yet. I'm not on the bestseller list, but the cool thing is I'm getting, you know, invited to these science conferences to talk about it. And I'm, you know, the Navy SEALs are stepping up and saying it's better than the current mind training that we're getting from the seal mine gym in Virginia. So, you know, I mean, it's got some, it's got some clout. So that's kind of cool. That's awesome. uh, or you go to mindhackinghappiness.com to find some videos that we've done. We've got a YouTube channel, mind hacking happiness. Uh, we're putting a bunch into this, um, a lot of effort into this because I mean, you know, one of the stories that I got back, I don't know if you have a couple seconds, there was this lady yeah. who, um, she had, she had had a lifelong addiction with alcohol. And she was one drink away from dying one night, went into a coma, had to go to the hospital, wound up in a traumatic brain injury ward in Houston at a neuroscience hospital because she had just drunk all day, every day for a number of years. She was very affluent, well-off wife that didn't really have a job. So she just kind of hung out and drank bottles of wine all day with her friends. And she drank her brain to mush and wow. she had to learn how to walk again sober. She had to learn how to tie her shoes again sober because she couldn't walk without staggering. She couldn't tie her shoes because her fingers wouldn't work right and went through rehab and really had a struggle with this alcohol, got out of rehab, got out of the hospital. Her husband's driving her home. They get out of the car. He's taking the bags out of the car from the hospital. She's inside pouring herself a glass of wine to take the edge off. Mm -hmm. So she goes, I know how much addiction can grip somebody. She read the red book, figured out how her mind works. She now understands that it's not the addiction to the substance. It's the pain underneath that causes the, the need to numb it or the substance to, to make it go away. She solved her own psychological issues simply by figuring out how her mind works by reading my red book and then cured herself of her alcohol addiction without the 12-step programs, without the rehab, by simply getting in there and tweaking the variables that we discussed previously to cure her pain. And then now she's no longer an alcoholic. She, she doesn't drink alcohol anymore, but she did sit down with a glass of wine afterwards and a journal to say, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to journal the psychological effects, the physical effects, the, you know, what I'm thinking at the time, you know, all that other stuff. She drank a glass of wine, like took the drink that AA says you can never take because you're forever an alcoholic after a certain point and proved them wrong and said, I cured my own alcoholism. I don't need alcohol anymore. Um, she chooses not to drink, 
but basically cured her own alcoholism by learning how her mind worked and taking control of it. And I was just like, okay, I don't care if anybody else in the world buys my book. That's a win. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to, you know, the, the, you know, that, that's how I look at, you know, winning the, winning the war. It's, you know, person by person, you know, that's awesome. That is a oh, great yeah. story. That is a great story. Well, I'll make sure I put uh, those links uh, in the show notes so people can just uh, click and you know go because uh, and I, I'm an audible person, so um, I know what I'm listening to on my next road trip. So that's awesome. That's great. <laughs> now, excellent. If we're really at a bar drinking, I'd give you some kind of drunk dare. But since we're not, I'm just going to ask a few random questions for my overstuff. Would you rather book? Knock it Mr. out, Mr. Webb. You're right. okay. Three questions. I'm going to apologize in advance because I do not know where this book is going to open. <laughs> I think that um, I think that you're pretty much a game for anything. Oh, All yeah. right. First question: Would you rather, Sean, inherit a piece of land between two battling countries, or inherit a piece of land near an active vol- volcano? Uh, I'll take the land near the warring countries because I think I could probably broker a piece. There you go. You just give me your book. That I'll be good. <laughs> Next question. Would you rather find out that while drunk the night before you flashed the elderly woman who lives next door or that you pounded the hell out of your own car with a hammer? Oh, flash the woman next door. I'm all about mooning nuns. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I would would flash the woman next door because, you know, nudity is not that big of a deal. All right. This one's going to be you're really going to have to think differently about this one. All right. Would you rather, Sean, as a woman, have a really hairy back or really long, curly exposed nose hairs? Ooh, can I braid them? <laughs> <laughs> you can do whatever you want, man. It's, uh, I'm not putting parameters on the question. Listen, all, man, I am bald. So having hair anywhere is a blessing for me. Like, you know, I hit about 40 and my, my uh, hair started migrating down my back to my yes! rear end. What yeah. is that about? Oh, I, don't I don't know. Get it. You know, you got to embrace it. I frost it now. I just go to, yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. Now I'll take the nose hair all day long because I'll just get the clippers up in there and cut it out. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. I mean, I learned a lot and I know my listeners will get a lot from it. And, and plus it was just a lot of fun. Oh, thanks, Chip. I really appreciate the time, man. It's always fun having a good conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. There you go. Sean Webb, was that awesome or what? I tell you what, super smart guy, lots of great strategies. I'm going to encourage you to go to his website, check him out, buy his books. Yeah, maybe we buy enough of him, he'll come to the conference and grace us with his presence and his enormous brain. I'm also going to encourage you to go to our website, aath.org, and um, check us out. Sign up for a few things. Come to the conference, like Paul said. Super great stuff all the time with awesome people. So until next time, this is Chip Lutz saying we'll keep the laugh on for you. Thanks for listening to LaughBox. If you'd like to learn more about AATH, visit our website at www.aath.org or email the host at chip at unconventionalleader.com. And if you'd like to be particularly awesome, leave us a review on iTunes and or tell your friends about how awesome the podcast is unless you didn't think it was awesome and then just keep it your little secret or tell them it was awesome and then laugh to yourself about how you're going to be wasting an hour of their time while you're out doing something productive like 
handing out heads of cabbage at a Miley Cyrus concert. <laughs> Thanks again for listening, and may the farce be with you.